pray your blessing with Manny as he shares what you have laid on his heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning with you all. Enjoyed our service here this morning so far very much. In spite of the cold, thank you, Youth Committee, for planning this. <clears throat> Been pottering this week from Ben's message on Sunday. What would it be like? How would I have responded if I lived about 2,000 years ago? And I would have been in Jerusalem, and there would have been a place called Golgotha, where there was three crosses. And I would have been a young Jewish boy who loved my rabbi. And I would have walked with him for three years. And then one day, the mob gets a hold of him, and they take him out to the hill on Golgotha. As I would have observed that, could have I stood there and witnessed this horror that was taking place on that hill. Could have I stayed to watch my master die? Sometimes I find myself a little critical of the disciples for fleeing, but I wonder if I wouldn't have responded the same. I believe in the text in, in John, I believe it refers to one of the disciples being there, which would have been John, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and another Mary. They stuck with Jesus all the way to the end. But as I thought about this, and just the horror that would have taken place there, I'm not sure in, my, in our society today, the way we live today, um, I'm not sure that I could have taken that kind of brutality. Probably I would have ended up needing to walk away. Because in fact, the Roman soldiers would have came and broken the legs of those two thieves. And uh, just the brutality that took place there, the ruthlessness, the bloodshed. <clears throat> I'd like to just draw us back there for just a little before we move into the hope of the resurrection. <clears throat> and again, I must say, as I pondered that this week, 
probably I would have been one of those who would have ran. Probably even got a little bitter about them doing all those things to my rabbi. <clears throat> in the foregoing chapters in Matthew, we saw the captain of our salvation engaged with the powers of darkness. He was attacked by them, and he vigorously attacked them. Victory seemed to hover between the combatants, and yet at length, it seemed to go toward the enemy's side. Our champion, our Lord, fell before them. Behold, God had delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. Christ in the grave is like the ark in Dagon's temple. The powers of darkness seem to take control. But then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep, like a mighty man. The prince of priests in this chapter rallying again, coming out of the grave, a conqueror, yeah, more than a conqueror, leading captivity captive. Though the ark be a prisoner, Dagon falls before it. And it proves that no one can stand before the Holy Lord God. So it was with Christ when he rose from the dead. Satan's power crumbled before him. And Jesus rose victorious. Yeah, more than a conqueror. This, my friends, is a hope of the resurrection. Let's look at the text that Paul read for just a little bit this morning. I've entitled my message this morning, The Hope of the Resurrection. We now live on this side, and we can look back and we can see that Christ did win the victory over death. And he passed that hope along to all who would believe on him. <clears throat> so the women came here the end of the Sabbath and it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. And here we see Mary Magdalene and the other Mary here come to the sepulcher. They come in anticipation of, of uh, either paying respect or anointing the body. Somehow they came. Uh, some other of the uh, gospel writers record this event in a bit more detail. In this gospel, Matthew's gospel, the second verse here we say, And behold, as they came, it would appear as if the guards were here yet when, the, uh, when these two ladies came to the tomb. And it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now, as I picture this, this again would have just been 
quite an event to experience for these ladies. Just not long ago, they sat on a hill and watched his brutal death. Now they come to the grave to pay respects to him in some way. And there's an angel that comes, and the stone is rolled away, and he sits on the stone. Verse 3 says, And his countenance was lightning, and his raiment white as snow. <clears throat> Interestingly, the response here was first we see of the keepers, of the guards that were set there. The response from the guards was one of fear. In verse 4, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And obviously some of them ended up running back and reporting what had happened. And then the, Jewish, the, uh, the chief priests and scribes had told them, well, just be quiet about this. We'll pay you lots of money. Just be quiet. Now, as I picture a Roman soldier, the tasks they were given to guard this tomb would have probably been, in their minds, one of the easiest assignments that they would have had in a while. These men were brutal men. They were men who were accustomed to seeing death on a regular basis. There were hardened men. There were men who weren't afraid to kill. Maybe these men, maybe one of these men was the one who thrust his spear into the side of Jesus. This was the kind of thing the Roman soldiers did. They were brutal men. When this angel showed up, they trembled. These men shrunk down in fear. In fact, um, this word here in verse 4 where it says the keepers did shake, the soldiers did shake. It's the same word that's used to describe an earthquake. When there's an earthquake, there's trembling. And these men trembled at the presence of the angel. They were afraid and they trembled. These hardened men. These men with swords and spears. These men that would kill in an instant. They dared not engage with such a powerful force. But there was another person present here. or some other people present. And I'm sure these ladies were also trembling. But the angel had a message of comfort for them. The angel answered and said unto the woman, women, fear not, for I know you seek Jesus. Let the sinners be afraid, but those who are the spiritual seed of Abraham, fear not. Note that those who seek Jesus here in this text need not be afraid. For if they seek him diligently, they will find him and will not be afraid. <clears throat> and I believe it's true of us today. True believers seek Jesus as these women did. They look for him. They are not afraid of him, but they seek to be in his presence. They desire him, 
They long for fellowship with him. <clears throat> we too should seek our risen Lord. <clears throat> the message he has for the, uh, the women here is in verse 6. They expected to come and to see, Jesus, to, uh, see the tomb. And I don't know if they expected the stone to be rolled away for them or, or what they were expecting when they got there. But nonetheless, the message he had for them, he says, he is not here. For he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. As I read the Easter story, and, I, and I, the resurrection story especially, again and again I'm just reminded, you know, Jesus did talk to his disciples about this event prior to it happening. He had told them, he said, go to Galilee, and when I rise again, I'm going to meet you there. And so, the angel was not bringing news to uh, these ladies. There was nothing new here. He was simply affirming what Jesus had already said. He said, go to Galilee, and I will meet you there. And so these women were tasked with the responsibility to go and tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. It's interesting that at the birth of Jesus, an angel also came to a woman and mentioned the same thing. And announced his birth, I should say. In Mark, we see, Mark and Matthew, we see both of these accounts, both of these gospel writers give this account of Jesus. I'm just going to read these passages here. Jesus telling his disciples that he is going to rise again. Mark chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. And Jesus said, saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. This was just before Peter's uh, denial of him. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the, sheep of the sh and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. The angel tells them to go quickly. Tell his disciples. Tell them that he has risen from the dead. He directs them to not waste any time, but go and spread the news to his disciples that he has risen. This is the day of good tidings. And these ladies were not to bask in this truth all by themselves, but to go and tell others. Notice that they were not directed to go to the chief priests and Pharisees and scribes, that they would be confounded. 
they were to tell it to those who would be comforted by this truth. This was a dismal time for the disciples. Think of this. Your master is, is gone. Your rabbi, the one you cherished, the one you loved, he's gone. He's dead. Between grief and fear, how encouraging it would have been for this band of scattered disciples to hear that their master is risen. They were bid to go quickly. Why the hurry? Why not wait until tomorrow or two days later? Still would have been good news, right? Go quickly. See, I believe Jesus, he really wanted his disciples to know this. Because he knew they were overwhelmed with grief and discouraged. I had to think, as Daniel was humbling himself before God, the angel Gabriel, God told angel Gabriel, he said, go quickly to Daniel. Quickly go and deliver this message of hope to him. So it was with the disciples, I believe. They were discouraged. They were scattered. They were afraid. And Jesus said, go quickly. Go tell them. There's a message of hope for a lost and a dying world. <clears throat> and how this message of hope changed the lives of the disciples. We could go into the details of all that, how they came running and all of that. It changed their lives. And so the resurrection should change our lives. It offers us hope. If it would have stopped at the cross, and death, we, we would not have this same hope. The resurrection is a key part of the Christian faith. <clears throat> Jesus' resurrection is a statement of the power of God. It's a statement about his ability to overcome even death itself. John chapter, 18, John chapter 10 verse 18 gives us this verse. Um, this was Jesus in discourse with his disciples. He says, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus endured all this suffering and pain not because he was forced to but he voluntarily gave himself. The Romans didn't force him to do it. The mob in Jerusalem wasn't in charge, and Herod and Pilate weren't in charge either. Jesus voluntarily gave his life. Interestingly, in trial, on trial with Pilate, Jesus, Pilate asked Jesus if he doesn't realize that he has the power to crucify him or release him. Jesus responded to Pilate like this. He said, you don't have any power over me except it were given you from above. Jesus willingly and sacrificially gave himself. 
This really uh, is significant as you think about this in the context of love. He gave himself because he loved us. This kind of love is called a suffering love. I also believe that Jesus, as he endured this torture, this torment, and this suffering, he was looking ahead to another time. He was looking forward into another time period. He was not bound by just the now. And I'd like to look at a few things. Hebrews chapter 2, 12, verse 2, gives us this verse. And um, I believe this is instructive for us today. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, here's the key phrase, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'd like to look at one key phrase here in this verse. For the joy that was set before him. What was this joy that is referred to in this passage for Jesus? He said, for the joy that was set before him, he, that's why he endured the cross. Joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And I have a list here. I'd just like to share them. And if I'm off, you can, you can correct me um, later. One of the things he says, no one will take my life. I'll lay it down on my own accord, and when I lay it down, I will take it up again. He says, in three days, I'm, he says, I'm going to destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rise it up again. Something was the joy that was set before him. Something set ahead of him. Son of man must suffer many things. And in three days, he will rise from the dead. He will never die again. He will be an eternal high priest. All authority in heaven and on earth will be mine. I will be, Jesus will be, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I will be alive forevermore. And in my hands will be the keys of death and Hades. I will sit, I will sit at the right hand of my Father's throne. My bride, the church, is my purchased possession with my blood. Jesus will be surrounded by angels and saints who will proclaim, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Something Jesus could look forward to. <clears throat> From my throne in heaven, I will build my church on earth, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will come to the earth with power. I will return to the earth with power and with great glory. And I will fill the new earth with the redeemed. And I will say to my bride, enter the joy of thy master. 
This was the joy that was set before him. Seeing from the future into the present, holding him to the cross. He really was a perfect example, I believe, of how we should, as followers, endure persecution. He was, as it were, the first fruits of the resurrection. The reason there is hope in the resurrection now is the same reason brought hope back then. This same hope enables us to continue in the faith, looking with anticipation to the joy that is set before us. This will enable us to walk through difficult circumstances with joy. Acts chapter 16. And in our Sunday school lesson this morning, I was about bursting at the seams, but I wanted to wait till later here. On Jesus' second missionary journey, I'm sorry, huh, on Paul's second missionary journey, he's traveling and um, he gets to Philippi. It was Paul and Silas. And so they're traveling along. They get to Philippi and they're there preaching the gospel. And there was a lady who came to them and said, and uh, she was possessed with demons. And she kept saying the same thing over and over again. In fact, it says she was a damsel, and she was owned by some men who made a living off of her in her divination or whatever she was doing. So when Paul and Silas came into town, this lady was uh, following them around, and she kept saying the same thing over and over again. She kept saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. So everywhere Paul and Silas went as they were preaching, this lady kept harassing them with the same message. These men are the servants of the Most High God. You'd think it's a positive message, right? But it says it was going on for a couple days in the text. Paul and Silas, Paul especially, was getting annoyed by this. This lady kept, kept harassing them. One day, Paul had enough of this, and he turned around and he rebuked the spirit. He said, I command you to come out of the woman. And she immediately changed and no longer harassed them. Well, the owners of this woman, or the ones that she worked for, they did not approve of this because... A, a source of their revenue stream just left them. And so they drug Paul and Silas in before the magistrates and accused them of many things. And the magistrates said, all right, we've got to get rid of these troublemakers. So they had uh, Paul and Silas beat. And it says they stripped them down and had them beat. and then handed them over to the prison guard. So here's Paul and Silas going from preaching in Philippi, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching him resurrected, and now all of a sudden they find themselves beat up. Um, I imagine they didn't use much mercy when they beat them. Probably they had a headache and 
were hurting across the back, would have had bruise marks, maybe even open wounds. Stripped down, drug into prison. It says in the text that the prison guard decided he's going to take him to the depth of the prison, which would have been way deep down in, in the cold and the dark. And he thrust them into stocks and made them set in prison. Now, how many of you were ever in stocks? I never was. I, don't, I have no idea, but I think it'd be pretty helpless. I understand they would lock their feet in metal or, metal or wood channels and lock them together so there's no way they could escape. Be a really uncomfortable place to be. Either you will be sitting and propped up against the wall or laying down, one or the other. Probably laying on your back. They had just got beaten really bad. And now here they are in stocks in a dark prison cell, hurting. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind they were really hurting. It's been a while since I had a, what, was I ever beaten? No, I don't think I was. I've been paddled in my lifetime, and I know that's sore for a little afterwards, but never beaten. They were beaten. They had stripes. Definitely, they were hurt. Now, if I was Paul and Silas, I don't know how I would respond, because I, I was never in that situation, but I think my first response would be, hmm, this is a bad place to be. What did we do to deserve this? Well, I don't know. Paul and Silas apparently had the hope of the resurrection because they started singing at midnight. I don't know if I would respond like that. I hope I would. But before I get too far removed, or before I go too far with that, what about my own petty little things, you know? As I was reading this, I thought, how often do I grumble about my circumstances? How often do I grumble about things that come into my life that I have really no control over? You know, before we get too bad with it, let's, let's just deal with it right here. Because I think if we deal with it in that way in our lives now, when the time comes to be put into bonds or in stocks and to be beaten, then our response will be the same as Paul and Silas was. So they began to sing. Do I sing or do I grumble? Hurting, sitting in stocks in the depths of the prison, all dark, they began to sing and an earthquake happened. Their stocks were opened up, and the prison guard becomes aware that all the prisoners are loose and the door is open. And he goes and looks, and uh, it says in the text that Paul, and Paul was looking, and he saw him, and the man was just about to take his own life. And Paul said, whoa, whoa wait, wait, 
Don't kill yourself. Don't hurt yourself. And the man stopped. He didn't kill himself. And he turned the light on, or got, he commanded that there was a light brought, and he saw that they were all there. Paul said, wait, we're all here. Don't harm yourself. Now, an alternative response to this would go something like this. Hey, God, shh, shh. He's, he's just about, he's coming. Let, let it go, let it go. Let him kill himself. Then we're going to run. The Lord is working for us. Paul said, hold it, hold it. Don't hurt yourself. And here comes this prison guard in here. And he definitely sees something really, really different with Paul and Silas. He said, I want what you have. And we know the story. The prisoner and all of his household was baptized that night. I think of Dirk Willems, you know, Paul didn't know. For Paul, it ended well. He was able to move on, released from prison. In fact, he, uh, <laughs> they wanted to just like quickly chase him out the next morning, and Paul said, oh no, hold on, hold on. I'm a Roman citizen, and you beat me on, untried, so I want to have a hearing. And, uh, but it ended well. But, you know, Paul didn't know that when he said to the prison guard, don't harm yourself. He did it irregardless of the circumstances that were about to unfold around him. <clears throat> Paul and Silas had the hope of the resurrection. That hope of the resurrection meant whether I live or whether I die, it is for the Lord. When we die, we go to be in the presence of the Lord. When we're here, we're working for the Lord. Paul, four times in the book of Acts, he says this. He says he is on trial because of the hope of the resurrection. I am on trial because of the hope of the resurrection. Philippians chapter 3. For several verses yet. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What is this power of the resurrection? Some would believe that we now also have power over death and can command people to come back to life which I think is a false interpretation of this passage. This simply means that we now have the power to live above sin. It gives us the power to appropriately respond to situations in life. When we are in a hard way, like Paul and Silas were, we can respond appropriately. We have the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. 
Not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. There is a coming resurrection where our bodies, if we're in the grave, will rise again. And for the resurrection, if, the, if, if Christ comes and we're still living, I believe our bodies will be changed into a body like unto his, the Bible tells us. <clears throat> his resurrected body, a real body, a real body that does not uh, decay and will not rot. <clears throat> There is also coming a resurrection for the unjust as well. The resurrection for the believer is a glorious resurrection. It's a wonderful thing. But the resurrection for the unjust will be a resurrection to judgment. This should motivate us to go and spread the gospel to more people across the na our nation and the world. <clears throat> I believe there is no, high, no price too high to obtain, for the hope, to, to obtain this hope of the resurrection. We can be beaten, robbed of all of our possessions, be ridiculed, put in prison, harmed physically, but no one can take the hope of the resurrection that is within us. They can take all of our possessions. They can beat you. They can do all those things to you. But nobody can take this hope of the resurrection from you. Unless you choose to give up that hope on your own. <clears throat> he says that our vile bodies, in verse 21 of Philippians here, our vile bodies will be changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. And we will be with him in eternity forevermore. My friends, this should bring tremendous joy in our lives. How we live, how we interact with other people, everything we do revolves around this truth. One day, we will be with him in eternity and glory, in real physical bodies. What a joy. What a thing to look forward to. And as Christ rose out of the grave that morning, the stone did not need to be rolled away for him. But the stone was rolled away so we could look in to the empty tomb. In conclusion, I want to read a verse in... 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, 
ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's kneel together and pray.